Thank you so much for leading us in worship. We do believe the Lord is in this place. And uh, we know that the Lord is even preparing our hearts now. I'm going to have you find your Bibles if you would, or find your smartphones, tablets, whatever you've got. But we're going to be in Exodus chapter 32, beginning verse 15 and following. Exodus 32, verse 15. We'll read here in just a moment. This is a time of preparation. We believe the Lord is uh, using this time already so that we might be prepared for many things for the message that He has for today. By the way, you have permission to take your mask off if you'd like. You have permission to keep it on, but I'd like to see your smile. Just don't breathe hard. No, it'll be okay. You can breathe. But uh, if I tell a joke, I want to be able to tell if you got it or not. But, oh, good to see your smiling faces. There you are. Great. One of the things the Lord is preparing us for is that at the end of the service, toward the end of the service, we will partake of the Lord's Supper. Can we get some more lights on just a little bit? I want to be able to make sure everybody can see the Scripture here. Oh, there, now I can really see you. Thank you so very much. If you're watching from home, we want you to be prepared as well. We know that there are a lot that are still live streaming, watching this online. Crackers and juice, water and bread, anything like that will be prepared, so you've got time to grab that. There'll not be a commercial, but at some point you can make your way to the kitchen, I'm sure. Those of you who are here, we've got it already prepared for you. They have been placed there in front of you uh, with gloved hands, so uh, you can feel confident that uh, it is a safe way to partake of the Lord's Supper. Wonderful thing in which we will do, we know the Lord will prepare uh, our hearts for that particular thing, but He's also prepared our hearts for what's going to take place in the future. And that is that we want to continue to represent Him in whatever we're doing. The Escape Zone, that's been kind of our series. We've had two or three different sets of that. Uh, what's Holding You Back was the very first. We talked about Moses and the Israelites, and they were enslaved. We know that in order to be a part of the Escape Zone, it's not a particular place physically, but it's a place spiritually. In other words, in the center of the will of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, following Him, that's the place in which we escape guilt from sin. We escape uh, those things that would hold us back. We escape so that we might be able to move forward. And now, we're kind of a third series, kind of a part of that as we, uh, Moses has already been on the has been on the mountain, or he's on the mountain, actually, what we're going to be reading today. And then they're going to move toward the promised land. So we're going to talk about fear over faith. Let me say it the other way. We're going to talk about faith over fear. No one called it the first time, but uh, we're talking about faith over fear, following faithfully our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ today. This now is God's Word from Exodus chapter 32 and verse 15. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is noise of war in the camp. But he said, It's not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire, ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go out before us. And as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. 
And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. Verse 26 reads, Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. The Israelites, they have now, after 400 years of slavery in Egypt, they have been taken out of Egypt. They have been brought. They're on their way to the promised land, but before they go, they come to Mount Sinai. And they've been in the desert and the wilderness now for three months. Lord's taking care of them. He feeds them manna every morning more than once. He's provided for them where they didn't have water. Now they had water. They've experienced more of God than ever before at the foot of the mountain because God's let himself known, be known and spoke to him through thunder and lightning and earthquakes and volcano-type experience there at the mountain. You would have thought that the experience of the Israelites would have caused them to be more loyal to God. Actually, I had a chance to be in Egypt once. Well, sort of. I was changing planes in the airport in Cairo, Egypt. And uh, actually, we had taken a group from a church where I served and small group we were on our way had a change uh, to change flights and we had a 12-hour layover in Cairo and we had planned to go through customs and go out and tour the pyramids there in Cairo while we had that but some of you might remember less than 10 years ago there was a coup in Egypt they spent several weeks uh, to where one regime was throwing over another regime and there was protest, rioting in the streets, and lots of violence taking place. Boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? But anyway, they were warning Americans to leave Egypt, and uh, they had boarded up the uh, American embassy there. And I got to tell you, when we landed in Cairo, or on our way to Cairo, I was a little bummed that I wasn't going to be able to get out of the airport. But on our way, I actually uh, ran into a group of, uh, from Detroit, Michigan, and they were on their way to Egypt, and they were going to make a tour of Egypt. In fact, the lady sitting next to me, kind of a older, robust lady, I asked her, I said, I said, aren't you afraid of all the things happening in Egypt to be able to get out and tour Egypt? And she looked at me, and she said, young man, I appreciate her calling me young man, but she said, young man, she said, I'm from Detroit. We're not afraid of anything. I said, well, we're from, I'm from Alabama, and we're afraid of everything. But uh, we met her group and her group leader. Her group leader introduced me to their tour guide. Their tour guide introduced me to another tour guide who gave us a really good deal. The temptation was too great. So we left, even though he said we could get, he assured us we'd get there safely and get back in time for a flight that was going out. So there we find ourselves at the pyramids. There were millions of people visit the pyramids every year. There was hardly anyone there. There were no Americans that I could tell that were there. But we paid for our tickets and counted our group, and I realized one was missing. Now, I'd already told them, I said, whatever we do, we're going to do together. But I said, where's Amber? Amber was our student pastor's wife. Student pastor had gone, but she had not gone, but she had. They said, oh, Amber went to the bathroom. Where's the bathroom? It's in that little house on the other side of that lot. I said, y'all wait right here. So I went and found Amber coming out of the bathroom. I said, what are you doing? She said, I had to go to the bathroom. I said, well, we're, no, we're not going by ourselves. But our, he said, our guide came with me. And I said, uh, the Egyptian guide that we just met came with you? I said, if you go, we all go. We're all going to stay together for the next few hours. So I came back. There a group was at the entrance. I wish I had a picture of them. Because there they were standing, every one of them they had necklaces on and bracelets on and hats and headbands and in every hand they had a trinket or something made of wood or a picture or something and they were surrounded by Egyptian vendors 
who had not seen Americans or many tourists there in weeks or months maybe by that time. I said, what are you doing? They said, well, they just kept giving us all of this stuff. And I said, they're not giving it to you. And said, listen, uh, it's a, you're going to have to give it back. If they won't take it back, you just gently lay it on the ground and say, thank you. Well, obviously we made it oh, and did all of our stuff that we needed to do. Here was Moses. He was coming down from the mountain. He came and he found the people. And the people had gone plumb crazy. Well, Moses, you've heard the phrase mountaintop experience. He'd been 40 days on the mountain. It may be mountaintop experience. That phrase comes from this very thing that we're reading now is, Moses has spent 40 days on the mountain. And from Exodus chapter 20 to Exodus 31, or the giving of the law instructions for the Israelites and God's experience, uh, just with, or Moses' experience with God just at that time. And now he's made his way down to the mountain and he comes and he finds the people that they are. Well, it's great to have a mountaintop experience. But the problem is you can't always stay on the mountain and sometimes there's trouble in the valley. In chapter 32 that we just read, we find that the Israelites there at the foothills of Mount Sinai, they've heard from God as he spoke. Twice they had made a covenant with God and agreed to do all that the Lord had told them to do. Moses has gone back up to mountain to get further instruction from God and to bring the stone tablets where God has written his holy law. And they're at Sinai for one reason. It's to hear from God in preparation to be able to go to the promised land so that they might be on mission and they might be a light to the nations. We want to discover today what it takes to be on mission with God and to be His people usable for His purpose. What's one thing that you know about the Israelites as they are here or in chapter 32? It is that they never made it into the promised land. They came to the edge of the promised land, but they refused to go in. They refused to put their faith. They were disobedient. And because of that, they spent 40 years in the wilderness. The Lord still cared for them, fed them, but they did not fulfill God's mission. It took the next generation. Well, I want us to be a people who are on mission and ready to do and be a part of God's kingdom work. I don't want to be the next generation. But I want it to be in this generation and in this place and ready to do and ready to follow as God needs, even in this year. A lot of us, we kind of have the attitude about 2020. Well, we just kind of hope to get through this year and looking forward to 21. But listen, we want to be able to see how the Lord's going to be able to work. This is the last Sunday of our church year. Our new church year starts in September, so we kind of start our new church year. So you're here today, you have finished well for the year. We want, for the church year, we want to finish well for 2020. So we're going to talk about how we might be able to stay on course. Four standards for staying on course as the people of God. And where you, wherever you are spiritually, if you're a new believer or if you've been a believer for a long time, growing in Christ or you feel like that you have plateaued, well, here's a time in which we might be able to see how we might be able to be, be able to stay on course and follow the Lord's direction from this passage. If you're a seeker, that is you don't know Christ yet as your Lord and Savior, you're here today or you're listening, it may be today what an opportunity to be able to look in and to see what it is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's our prayer today that even before this hour is over that you will have asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord if you don't know Him already. But of the four standards, here's the first one. God's people wait on a word from God. The scene is that Moses is on top of the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Joshua is about midway up the mountain or he's on the foothills. Israelites are camped below. 
But while Moses is having this mountaintop experience, we know that there's trouble in the valley. On about the 38th day, the people become impatient. And they pull Aaron aside, I guess who's in charge for that time, and they said, about this man Moses, we don't know what's happened to him, but we want you to make a God that will lead us out. And it seems almost without hesitation that Aaron asked for all of their gold, all of their gold, particularly all of their earrings, and fashioned for them a golden calf, not unlike a God of Egypt in whom Jehovah God has already defeated. I would guess earrings, men and women, probably both earrings from a couple of million people makes a lot of gold. Now they spoke of Moses in a disparaging way, and it wasn't the first time. They'd already complained against Moses and criticized him, and God made it clear when they spoke against Moses, they're speaking against God. But what did they really want? Well, perhaps the Israelites really wanted was to be able to see the presence of God. What they really wanted maybe was perhaps godly leadership. I think they got a little nervous. Their leader was no longer in the camp, and they were afraid that God was no longer in the camp. They're no longer willing to wait on what they could not see. It may seem incredulous to us that for 400 years they were in slavery and now they couldn't wait 40 days. Now, before we judge them too severely, it could be that the greatest sin of this generation, and when I say this generation, I'm not talking about the younger generation or the older generation. Those of us who are living right now in the year 2020 and maybe particularly in our culture, the greatest sin of this generation perhaps in our culture could be impatience. We want what we want when we want it, more so than generations in the past. I mean, if we want it, we'll do what we need to do, beg, borrow, steal, whatever it takes. And for believers, waiting on God is often the biggest test of faith. In 2020, we've experienced pandemic, economic fall, injustice, crime in the streets, political turmoil, and you may have asked somewhere along the line, where is God in all of this? What is God up to? The Israelites are asking similar. They said that they were asking, where is Moses? But the question for us who claim Christ, will you wait on Christ to reveal himself? And I believe he already is revealing himself as we continue to see open doors to be able to share God's love and to be able to share the good news of God's truth. But if you're not, it, it may be that you're not experiencing God or you think that you want to hear from God, but... We've got to ask the question, will we wait on God or will we trust and put our faith in something else? If we're living in the valley, how are you going to act and where are you going to place your faith? Let's continue to worship and trust in Jesus. Let me remind you of the first two commandments that are given. Exodus chapter 20, thou shalt have no other gods before me. It's number one, thou shalt not make any graven image and bow down to it. They were willing to say, this golden calf was the calf who led them out that they needed to follow. Problem is you can't, not, you can't contain God in an idol, nothing made with human hands. And after all, the gold that they had used in order to build the calf, in order to make the calf, well, where did that come? It came from the Egyptian plunder which the Lord made available for them. So even that was given by the Lord. But we know that we do not worship anything that's made with hands. We have symbols that we use sometimes. We know the symbol of the cross and the empty tomb, baptism, Lord's Supper that we'll partake in a moment, but we worship the invisible God. So the first test the Israelites had received the commands of God was to simply wait for further word from God, but they failed to wait. Well, in order to wait, 
on God, faith is usually necessary. Scripture tells us the definition in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 that says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We want to be a people and we want to be a church who serve God and His own mission with Him. But to do that, it takes faith, we understand, to step forward sometimes in what you're going to do. It also takes step of faith in order to wait on God or listen for God, which makes during this time how important it is to, for us to be able to have daily prayer, personal devotion with God's Word. But also we understand if we're going to stay the course, God's people confess their sins before God. God's people confess their sins before Him. The Scripture says, Moses made his way down the mountain with the stone tablets in his hand, and he met Joshua. Now, Moses was the great lawgiver. Joshua was the great military man who would take over, but also fought even before Moses left the scene. So Joshua was a military man. He comes to Joshua, and Joshua hears sounds from the camp, and he says, Sounds like sounds of war to me. But Moses, who had already been warned by God what was happening down below in the valley, he says, no, those are not sounds of war. He said, I hear singing. And it was not good singing. I think it must have been rap that he heard or something like that. No, of course, I'm kidding. You understand, but he heard oh, not everything, not all singing is good. But we understand that uh, you, when you listen to watch sometimes maybe any music videos that uh, you don't have to think very far or realize not all singing is good. I don't mean that you have to ban all secular music from your life. There's some wonderful love songs and songs about life and some that are just fun, but you have to ask. Sometimes as Moses heard singing that was not good, you have to ask sometimes, are the lyrics and the music, does it take your focus off of God or living by God's standards? Rick Warren said, though we may not all have the same taste and disagree over style of music, there's no such thing as Christian music. There are only Christian lyrics. God loves all kinds of music because He invented it all. There used to be a show that came on a long time ago, but they called American Bandstand. It was probably the precursor to all the dance shows that are on now. And they had a little segment in that show to where they always had a new song in which they'd play. They'd have a couple of teenagers that would come up, and they'd have them to evaluate the song. If they liked the song and Ted, why they like the song, they would always give the same reason. We like the song because it has a good beat and you can dance to it. Well, can I tell you something today? Just because it has a good beat and you can dance to it doesn't make it good. Just because something feels good or feels right does not make it right. Just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean that you should do it. As a matter of fact, as a believers in the Lord Jesus, if everybody else is doing it, it should cause you to take pause because it may be the very thing that you don't need to do. God's people live by God's standards, not by human standards or feeling or even logic. When Moses saw what was happening, though God had already told him, he became angry. Now, the, in the original language that is used, a little more picturesque word that is used, it says that his face became hot. Have you ever been so angry that your face becomes hot? Now, the difference for Moses was that he became angry because he knew that it displeased God. A lot of times we become angry because we're thinking about how it affects us. And because of this, Moses did three things to show the people their sin. First, he threw the stone tablets containing God's law and broke them at the foot of the mountain. By literally breaking the tablets, it showed them that they'd broken God's command and were not even deserving of hearing God's word. There's 
No indication here that God was angry at Moses for breaking the stone tablets. And contrary to popular belief, this is not why Moses was not able to enter into the promised land. But if you hang with us for a few weeks, we're going to let you know that. But consider the value of the tablets, if you would. I read something the other day that somebody had a uh, handwritten note from Abraham Lincoln, and they sold it on the Internet for $300,000. Well, imagine these stone tablets coming from Mount Sinai written by the finger of God how much they were worth but even more so was it worth that the people recognized their sins God got a, gave Moses another pair of, stone, of uh, the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets and they kept that in the Ark of the Covenant showing how important it was but second Moses burned the golden calf he ground it into powder put it into their drinking water and made all the Israelites drink it. He made them literally internalize their sins. If sins are truly to be confessed, they must be identified. If we're to be a people usable and following God's plan, we must name our known sins in confession. Now, the truth is we can't always remember all of our sins. Now, those that we can remember, we're sure to identify those that there are times we need to say, Lord, forgive me of all my sins, even those that I cannot identify. But probably for most of us, there's a particular temptation or two, or there's something in your life, maybe even a lifestyle or habit that you know that you need to turn over to the Lord, and you know you need to internalize, and that you know that you need to confess. Uh, and the goal that they identified as so important for which they were willing to turn away from God and literally worship gold would become waste. Even followers of Christ in this generation in our culture, far too many have turned away from God to worship the gold in the material things of this world which would become waste. Now, if you'd have identified that there's a dollar, the dollar, or material things, or the things of this world that have become far too important for you, confess today and make God your priority again. The greatest sin of this generation, this generation in which we're living, could be indifference. Not just the material, but indifference to the things of God. Sin's no big deal anymore. Live and let live. We're not expecting the world to live differently. But followers of Jesus are supposed to live godly lives. Not perfect lives, but when we sin, we know that we're to identify those sins, confess, and commit ourselves to Christ. Lord, every time we come to the, to the Lord, we say, Lord, I, I've been in the world today, and I've gotten filthy once again, and I need to confess my sins to you, and I need you to wash me. We know that every time we come to the Lord that he will forgive us, Charles Spurgeon said this, God never permits his people to sin successfully. Do not become so indifferent to sin in your own life, nor indifferent to the ways of God. And the third thing that Moses did, Moses confronted Aaron, their leader, in the valley. And you could tell by the way we read it a moment ago, he had to be thinking, Aaron, what did they do to you that you would make this calf and cause the people to sin? Well, Aaron re represents those people that would hardly uh, take responsibility for their own faults. What did Moses say? Well, had several excuses. At first he pointed to the people and said, you know how evil those people really are. And then he quickly shifted it to Moses and said, Moses, 
You, they said you were on the mountain too long. And you know, if you think about it, Moses, you really were up on that mountain for a long time. And then he gave what is the dumbest excuse ever in all of, certainly all of the Bible, if not all of history. He said, I did take their gold and I put it into this fire and poof, out came this calf. I don't think poof is probably in the original language, but you understand that it was, a, it was like a child saying, it's my imaginary friend. He said, it wasn't me, it's my imaginary friend that did it. It would be almost humorous if it wasn't so sad. But I wonder if God sometimes hears our excuses for our sins or for what we do or the justification in which we have and think just how ridiculous those things sound. Listen, as we partake of the Lord's Supper here in a few moments, you want to be sure that you've identified your sins and you want to be sure that they are confessed without excuse. But also we find if we're going to stay on course, God's people are distinct and set apart. God's people are distinct and set apart. After Moses confronted the people and Aaron with their sin, he made a clear choice for the people and probably a clear choice that we all need to make. Whoever's on the Lord's side, come to me. Only tribe, did you recognize it when we read it a moment ago? Only tribe that came to Moses out of the 12 tribes were the sons of Levi. What were the other tribes thinking? What were the other people thinking? The Israelites, after God had, all that God had done for them, were they thinking, after all this, we're still not going to follow? Or maybe they were too scared to come to Moses because they realized their sin. Or could it have been they wanted to stay like a lot of us want to stay? We want to stay pretty much on a neutral plane. We don't want to get too radical with Jesus. But can I tell you, in the things that we're facing today and all that we've gone through in 2020, and whatever you're facing in your life, we want to be sure that it is clear that we're staying on the Lord's side. Don't miss the significance of this event. A couple of books later in Numbers chapter 14, we're going to find the Israelites actually come to the edge of the promised land. They send the spies in. People look like giants, and they refuse to obey God and refuse to come in. But their decision to do that wasn't just because of what they decided right at that moment. It began this moment, right here in this passage. What does that say to us? Well, it makes a difference what you do today. It makes a difference the decisions that you make today and the place and the faith that you place in your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ today because the decisions you make this day, the decisions you make this week will have effect on what you're going to be doing in the future. We want to make it clear. We'll make it very clear whose side we're on for the next generation, for those who need Jesus as well, and so that we might be usable vessels for Him. Paul talked about this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He used many of these events to tell the church what not to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 7 says this, And do not become idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. When we sit down to eat and drink, we want to be sure that we're thanking the Lord Jesus for everything that we have and also be ready to give Him praise, glory, and honor. When we get up in the morning, we want to be sure we're rising. We're rising so that we might be able to bring glory to His name and so that we might be ready to be on mission for Him as well. And then we find, if we're going to stay on course, God's people have only one hope in Jesus Christ. None of us are worthy of salvation. None of us are worthy to be called into service, but we have a hope in Jesus Christ 
who has called us in spite of ourselves because of His grace when we place our faith in Him so that we might be able to know Him, so that we might be able to have a relationship with Jesus, and so that we might know He knows our plight. He knows what we're going through. He knows everything that's happening in the world today, and even now we know that the Lord continues to be at work. Moses often interceded for the Israelites. In fact, earlier in this chapter, we read in verse 15, but early in this chapter around verse 11, Moses prays. God had told Moses what's happening down in the valley and how the people have forsaken him and worship another. So Moses prays in verse 11. Verse 11 says, But Moses implored the Lord as God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? And the Bible says in verse 14, says that the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then later on in the chapter, in verse 30, Moses goes to intercede for the people again, only this time he does not seem to be quite as successful. Read with me, if you would, on your screen or in your Bibles. Verses 30 through 33 says this, The next day Moses said to the people, You've sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord, and perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They've made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. Listen how the Lord responds in verse 33. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Moses is willing to give his life, if not giving up heaven, written out of your book, Lord, in order that the people might be forgiven. I've only known one other person who's prayed a prayer such as that. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9, he prays a prayer for the Jewish people, for the Israelites. And he prays that they might be saved. He said to be willing not only to give his life, but to give up his eternal salvation, if possible, that they might be saved. But there was a problem. Moses, nor the Apostle Paul, could give atonement for the people. Only Jesus can there was a little girl that lay in the hospital after an accident. She was uh, having, she was losing lots of blood. She had a rare blood type and she needed a transfusion. Call went out for the blood type. The only one that had the same blood type was her seven-year-old brother. And the doctor came and talked to the seven-year-old brother and said, uh, you know, your little sister has lost a lot of blood and she needs some of your blood. He said, if you're willing, that you can save her. If not, the angels may be taking her to heaven. And he said, you can have my blood. So they hooked him up and even watched the blood coming from his veins to his sisters. He was pretty nervous about that. And the doctor said, oh, I'll all be over soon. He says, you're, doing, you're, you're a brave little man. And he said, well, I'll be going to heaven soon. See, nobody had quite explained to him in his little mind that he was just giving some of the blood. He thought he was giving his very life. But he did understand that he's the only one who had the kind of blood that would save his sister. Moses, nor the Apostle Paul, had the right kind of blood. Only the Lamb of God has the right kind of blood that can offer forgiveness of sin. Only the blood of Jesus, because of his sacrifice for us on the cross, because he is the one who is 
who has never sinned, the one who is the Son of God. And so only through Jesus are we able to have the only hope that is provided. Jesus is the only hope for salvation. He's our only hope to stay the course and to have the opportunity to be used in His kingdom. He is our only hope for all that's going on today. So the question for us today is, will you place your trust only in Him? Will you put your trust only in Him? The greatest sin of this generation, don't put it up quite yet because I'm going to say it two or three ways and then we'll... The greatest sin of this generation, this generation in which we live, it is this. We've noticed what it could be in those others. But it is this. It is the golden calf. It is that we worship an idol. It's the greatest sin of this generation. It is that we worship something other than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To say it like this, the greatest sin of this generation is giving away that which only belongs to Jesus. It's giving away your worship, worshiping something else besides Jesus. It's giving away your first priority, giving it away instead of giving it to Jesus. It's giving away your faith, trusting in something else. It's giving away your hope, putting your hope in something else. It's giving away your love, your first love, which goes to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let that not be your sin. Let that not be the sin of this church or God's people. Are there any golden calves in your life? Something that you've given away that only belongs to Jesus. Now is the time to return that which belongs to Him, particularly as we prepare to partake of the supper today. We kind of arbitrarily put out where we're going to have the Lord's Supper. It's once a quarter. We do it usually on the fifth Sunday, sometimes around Christmas and Easter. So we do it four to six times, I guess, a year. We probably could do it even more often. So we didn't know particularly what the message is going to be on today. But these particular things from Exodus chapter 32 help us to prepare, waiting on the Lord, confession of sin, committing yourself to be set apart, declaring that your holy hope is found in the sacrificed body and blood of Jesus. And as Moses said to the Israelites, all those on the Lord's side come to me. We say today once again, all those on the Lord's side come to the supper. Confessing sin, committing yourself, and proclaiming your hope is found in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In a moment, we're going to pray. We're going to give you that opportunity that you, if you need to confess sins today, if you need to commit yourself, if you need to put whatever, something that you know belongs only to the Lord and give it to Him, we encourage you to do that. And if you don't know Jesus today, or you don't know for sure, you can know for sure today that Christ is your Savior and Lord because the Bible tells us that if we repent of sin and we ask Jesus to come in because Jesus died for us on the cross and rose again the third day, if we put our faith in Him by grace that we become one of God's people. We're invited to be a part of God's family. And we invite you to do that today. The supper's for God's family. And if you need to invite Jesus in today, then we invite you to come in and partake of the Lord's Supper today. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to come and worship you today. We know that your presence is in this place. We've sang about it today. We've declared it by the proclamation of your word. And we thank you today that we can come and we can proclaim our faith in you by partaking of the supper today. So we come today confessing our sins, 
even or maybe especially as believers in the Lord Jesus because we've been in the presence of God we know that there's sin in our life and we need to confess it to you we come today committing ourselves to you today in the future that yes Lord we'll follow you and only you when you call us to come to your side we're ready to come the world will see clearly that we belong to the Lord Jesus. We proclaim your name through partaking of the supper. We pray today, Father, if there's anyone that's here today or anyone listening online that does not know you as Savior and Lord, cannot say for sure they have a home in heaven, Christ in their heart, that today, even at this moment, they can repent of sin by saying, Father, forgive me of all my sins. They can ask Christ to come in simply by saying, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for my sins and rose again. And I invite you now to come into my heart and life and be my Savior and Lord. Thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. Continue to prepare our hearts even in these moments. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. We'll have opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper. We're going to kind of go through this with you, particularly if it's the first time that you've partaken it. This doesn't take as long as we normally pass it out, but there in front of you, you can grab that uh, the elements and uh, take you just a moment. We'll partake of that together. Uh, men, feel free to grab it for the ladies or vice versa. Make sure that everyone has one in hand who'd like to partake. There are two tabs on there just to kind of help you make it a little bit easier. If you'll take that first tab and you want to be able to pull that back and just, just pull that one back so far. If you're partaking at home, you can take your cracker or your bread at this time and place that in your hand. It was on the Thursday night of Holy Week. Disciples were partaking of the Passover night that Jesus would be arrested. Next day he would be crucified. And he told the disciples while they were at the supper, he said, took the bread and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then you might take the next tab. Pull that back. It was after the supper, the Bible tells us, that Jesus then took the cup, taking the elements that would be used at the Passover, and he said, this is my blood that was, declared, that was shed for you. He declared a new covenant and a new promise. And he said, as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I come. 